Hi, everybody. Don't forget about the upcoming pop-up co-working and workshop session that's happening in New York City, November the 16th through the 17th. This is a time where Christian business professionals or those who don't mind being around Christians are coming together to co-work. Uh, they're working, they're sorting out their individual ideas, they're working on projects, they're working on certifications, they're working on entrepreneurial goals, they're working on employee projects, whatever it is, coming together for two days, around 12 hours each day, around 24 hours in total, just fellowshipping and getting these business plans and products done getting it out there, getting it done, getting it produced, getting it developed. This is our time. So, hey, join us. More information at www.seenversusshadow.com. Hello, I am Cesara J, and I teach employees and entrepreneurs how to maneuver games of business politics with their morality, integrity, and health intact. And this is Business Politics 318 Podcast. Welcome. So I started Scene versus Shadow Workplace Initiative because of trauma that I endured in the workplace. And I vowed to help others never endure what I had to go through. As a result, I've educated many companies and employees from major organizations such as uh, major airlines, government agencies, financial institutions, and even law offices. I've decided to start this podcast to help others maneuver games of politics by really hearing and uh, obtaining the advice of people in different industries. Welcome to Business Politics 318. So today really is one of those tough topics and it was tough for me because I was traumatized by it for so long. For so long I was traumatized by it. Uh, and it put me into um, a cave and just just a negative situation. And so we're going to talk about that. Today's topic is called sexual harassment. Don't get tired of listening. Instead, discern who's really talking. That's today's title. So for me... I worked in an era, I started, I started working, because of course I'm still working, but I started working where there was no Me Too movement yet. There was no Me Too movement yet. And still it was a time that sexual assault had been traumatizing people for, for centuries upon centuries, actually more than a millennium, really. And um, so it, it was still nothing new, but people weren't speaking out about it because there was still a lot of retaliation or shutting down of victims' voices. The Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, actually the EEOC, came out with a report in June 2016 from two commissioners who wrote this report. And I, I was very impressed by the fact that these two commissioners took that time to write a very thorough report. 
And I want to read something really quickly from one of the, um, of the pages. And what they said was that, and this report is called the Select Task Force on the Study of Harassment in the Workplace. So what they wrote, they said, with legal liability long ago established, with reputational harm from harassment well known, with an entire cottage industry of workplace compliance and training adopted and encouraged for 30 years, why does so much harassment persist and take place in so many of our workplaces? Wow. So we're talking now about just 30 years from today or 30 years actually from 2016 when they wrote that. But the persistence of harassment in the workplace. And if I can go even further to talk about even assault in the workplace, sexual assault in the workplace as well. Let's go back to um, more than a millennium. Let's talk about the Bible. The Bible talks about sexual harassment and sexual assault. In Genesis chapter 39, Joseph had a master named Potiphar. And in verse 4, the Lord blessed Potiphar so much because of Joseph that Potiphar put all that he had under Joseph's authority. And in verse 7, Potiphar's wife longed for Joseph and she told him that she wanted to have sex with him. So she was telling him, have sex with me. That's what she told him. And in verse 8, he refused. So we hear that he refused. And then by verse 10, we hear that she harassed him daily about this. And he kept refusing out of respect to his master. So by verse 14, she lies. And she says that he propositioned her for sex. So we see there a case of sexual harassment. Genesis 19. Let's go to another situation. In verse 5, there were men who were in Sodom who were trying to rape two other men that were in Lot's house. And those men were actually angels, but men, you know, nonetheless in, in um, this context. In verse 8, Lot was willing to give those men his daughters, to let them rape his daughters. That alone is a problem, is a violation. But what ends up happening, and this is not anything we should rejoice in, but the daughters turn the tables on Lot. And by verse 33, they raped their own father, Lot, twice. So we so in verse 8, we see where there's a violation, where this father was willing to give his daughters over for rape. But then in verse 33, we see the daughters turning the tables, justifying it to themselves why they're doing it. And then they rape their father twice. Let's go to another situation, another scenario in Second Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, Amnon rapes his sister. So we even see from even the biblical days, there were times where women were harassing men, men were 
harassing women, men were harassing men, this kind of, you know, these things were happening, sexual harassment and sexual assault, they were happening, it was still real. So in March 2018, on Facebook, I asked a group of men and women about their experiences with sexual harassment, and it was very interesting. So with the, the men only group, 41% said that they did not mind being sexually harassed by a good looking woman. 21% of those men said no, that sexual harassment was not tolerated, period. They, they, that they would not accept that. And then you had 21% who said it depends. The ones who said that the 41% who said that they didn't mind being sexually harassed, let's talk about their reasoning. Their reasoning were that um, as men, they said it helped, it helped their ego. They said they didn't mind being sexually harassed by a good looking woman unless it was a quid pro quo. Another one said that he didn't mind being sexually harassed by, by a good looking woman as long as she didn't grab him in the penis, he said and if he weren't married. So someone said that as a single man that um, they were not offended at all and wouldn't report it. Another man said that, hey, that's not sexual harassment, it's flirting. And then there's another man who had a response that I thought that was really good, and I'm gonna share that one with you. He said, I don't think it's a matter of someone being good looking or not being good looking he said men and women are wired differently the sexes have different perceptions of what is considered harassment and what is considered as tolerable banter this is why many men are perplexed at the notion of being accused of sexually harassing someone some harassment is blatantly obvious but i guarantee you if you had a set of scenarios and presented them to men and women and asked if they would be offended, you'd get very different responses depending on the gender. That's what he said. So let's talk about the men who said that it depended. So 21% of men said that it would depend on whether they would be offended or, or whether they would tolerate sexual harassment by a woman, particularly a, a good looking woman. One guy said, hey, define harassment because verbal harassment is not as emotionally distressing to men. Then another man said, hey, it depended on the attraction. For example, Paula Patton would get more rope than the average Joe. And then likewise, he said for women that he believed that Idris Elba would get more rope um, than the average Joe. Now, I can't speak on that because a woman would have had to to speak on that issue. But let's talk about, again, Paula Patton. He's basically said that, hey, if Paula Patton decided to sexually harass a man, that man would be like, he would be less likely to think of it as sexual harassment. So another man said that he knew of gym, gym rats who considered it harassing when someone touched them without their permission. But yet he said that he thinks that hugging and being affectionate and touching, having affectionate touching is healthy. But the caveat was that as long as the other person didn't mind. 
Then you had another man who said, hey, it just depends on my mood. Then you had another man who said, hey, men just have thicker skin than women. And another man immediately replied to that and said, is it that men have thicker skin or is that they have lower morales, he said. I'm sorry, no, no, he actually said lower morals. That's what he said, lower morals, he said. So in turn, I asked a group of women if they believe that women sexually harassed with the intensity as men are thought of or have been reported to sexually harass others. 100% of women said that yes, they believe that women sexually harass men with the same intensity or even greater possibly. And they gave their, they shared their experiences. And as I watched this thread happen, my questions were, why weren't there any women to say that no, that women don't sexually harass with the same intensity as men? Is it that the women who do believe that and did not speak up were those who have lost their voices? Now, I, I say that because the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, made this statement. Now, the statement is, they say that workplace harassment too often goes unreported. The common workplace, now, actually, I wasn't thinking that just based upon what the EEOC, because again, because of my experiences, I also was just thinking about this myself. But just looking at what the EEOC said, they said that common workplace-based responses by those who experience sex-based harassment are usually to avoid the harasser, deny or downplay the gravity of the situation, or attempt to ignore, forget, or endure the behavior. The least common response to harassment that they notice is to take some formal action, either to report the harassment internally or file a formal legal complaint. Roughly three out of four individuals who experienced harassment never even talked to a supervisor, manager, or union representative about the harassing conduct. Employees who experienced harassment fail to report the harassing behavior or to file a complaint because they fear disbelief of their claim, inaction on their claim, blame, or social or professional retaliation. I found it interesting that men also responded to that, uh, to that women's poll, and they said that yes, that women do sexually harass men with the same intensity that men are claimed to sexually harass. And I was curious because I noticed that no men responded to say that men sexually harass women more. So when you see, when you see this sort of imbalance, if you will, it reminds me of something called a wicked problem. And a wicked problem is in this context is when you don't have 
the voices, the other voices speaking up. So you know that the voices are there because we, especially now in the Me Too movement, we see people speaking up and and we have people giving their their stories, anecdotes, even for those who filed cases about how they were basically ignored. So we know those other voices do exist. But the wicked problem is that these are problems that are difficult or impossible to solve because there's something that's still incomplete or contradictory or changing. So it's almost as if this problem goes in circles and circles and circles. So for example, if a woman speaks up about uh, about sexual harassment, then you have certain men who will deflect it by then saying, well, we've been wrong too, and blah, 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 blah. So the idea is to shut down the other women's voice because either they don't understand the woman's perspective, so they assume that that woman's argument is false or that it's not big of a deal, or they're bitter about something else. You know, they're bitter about, um, it could be a power thing. It could be a control thing. Um, it could be any of those things. And so then in response to that, then, you know, you can have certain women who might then respond and then some people who may might respond in a way that's not um, very easy to digest, <laughs> if you will. Um, it's tough. So it's like things go into a, a circle, like tit for tat, tit for tat, tit for tat, tit for tat. So, so if I say this, then, I'm, then the other group is going to say that. And, and then which makes another group say that. And then which makes that group say this. And then blah, blah, blah. And it just goes into this circle instead of actually dealing with the situations that are being stated. Since the Me Too movement... I've been reading a lot of articles that were similar to Susan Fowler's article that she wrote. She wrote a blog in February the 19th, 2017, where she spoke about her harassing environment that she was under the just the horrible, horrible environment that she was under at Uber. So she had a blog post that was entitled Reflecting on One Very, Very Strange Year at Uber. So I read the comment section, and I'm going to read this comment, the comment section really quickly. Not all of them, but I just want to, to read some of these things, um, some of these comments. So for example... One person said, what after Susan finished talking about her time at Uber and the trauma behind it and the failings of the human resources system and the leadership systems and things that were put into place to protect the, the employee but didn't protect the employee, so you have people who are commenting and one person said, well, because Susan was an engineer and one person said, commented, well, good engineers are in such high demand in the Silicon Valley that startups will give their eye teeth. 
I don't know what an eye teeth is. So I'm going to read this as people wrote it. So some of it might have mistakes in them, but this is how they wrote it. Um, so good engineers are in such high demand in Silicon Valley that startups will give their eye teeth to give them, to get them on board their teams. Female engineers are in even higher demand as are minorities. So to believe her, Susan Fowler's claims at face value as she lays them out requires a suspension of disbelief. And to make it even more dubious, this all supposedly happened in the geographic epicenter of political correctness where people bend over backwards to be, quote, sensitive and inclusive, unquote. Before too much weight is given her account, it'd be good to hear the other side, although Uber is highly unlikely to respond. And I suspect Ms. Fowler knows that, this commenter said. He, he continued to say, Ms. Fowler should go higher and harder if there really was behavior of this sort. Again, let me read that. If there really was behavior of this sort, as if to say that, hey, what she's saying can't be true. From so many people in departments within the company, it really should be exposed. Lay it all out and pull no punches. Unfortunately, so many similar stories have eventually been determined to be hoaxes. So this, that's very interesting that, that this person said that because it's if-then statement. If this behavior really happened, then you should have only done, you know, you should have only done X, Y, Z as if that's the only way that life works. This, this is what that person is in essence telling her. But that's not how life works. I'm going to continue. Let's continue going to another one. This one is from Steve. Steve said, usually if anything is too outrageous to be true, then it usually is. I think there's always three sides to a story. And I've worked in seven companies in senior positions, said Steve. And this is too outrageous to be true. If this really is true, she, sh would, have she would have sued and made millions. So, again, you have Steve, who's in essence saying that if her, if her story and experience is not like his, then her story cannot be true. And that if her story was true, then she just would have sued. Because in his mind, that was the only solution. Let's keep on going. We have Dave. Dave says... I, Dear Susan, I feel sad that you had such a bad experience at your previous company. That said, there are two sides of a coin, and often the other side will tell a very different story. Now, Dave is correct in that perceptions. Perceptions differ for people. Even if there's a violation, even if there's an obvious violation, perceptions can still differ. So that is true. But then he goes and says, one thing for sure, your future managers would think twice before they hire you. They may think that there is a chance you are the reason for the drama and eventually decide to pass on you. Just saying. 
<sighs> and then you have men. Men says, but thank you for writing this. And I'm assuming men is a man in this context or in this instance, because I actually know of a men. And um, so I don't know who the person is, but from my experience, men has the name men has been a man. And this man says, thank you for writing this, Susan. It takes a lot of courage to put yourself out on the firing line by reporting on this long-standing problem in the engineering industry. Okay, next we have um, Ash. And Ash said, commented to Susan Fowler, well, you joined an unethical company that uses predatory pricing to stomp out the full income jobs of taxis and also uses its enormous power over drivers to pay sub-minimum wage. Then Ash says, but like any feminist, you ignore the people you hurt and focus on you. You are a huge jerk who deserved everything you got. And next time out, you and your sisters should consider the ethics of the company. How your employers treat society is likely how they would treat you. So piss off. So Ash is basically saying that, hey, one injustice dignifies another, in essence. You hear victim blaming. You hear that, hey, it was Susan Fowler's job to, in essence, be the savior. So as if, as if there is a company out there that is just purely ethical. Now, we don't know. So we don't know if companies are ethical or unethical because a company, a business entity, and I talk about this in my Scene versus Shadow series, a business as a business doesn't understand ethics or or being ethical or unethical that's not it the business alone understands sustainability in the marketplace and maintaining in the marketplace you have humans people people once people come into play then depending on the integrity of people then that's where the issues of unethical, ethical, and manipulative behavior, manipulative behavior come into play. So you can't automatically just assume that all companies are ethical or all companies are unethical. You, you can't. This is what I'm saying as, as Cesara. Now, I understand that we should also, like for me, I personally work in places where I agree with their mission. And if I agree with their mission, it doesn't mean that I automatically know what their ethics are like. And then I and then you can't judge an entire forest if one tree is bad, right? So in Ash's comments, it distracts from what the violation was to Susan Fowler. And Ash says that because she joined that company, then she's a jerk and deserves every bit of the harassment that she received. Whew, wow. And then you have Jade. Jade says, suing your former company is really not good for your career. What does Susan realistically gain from a court case that would cost thousands of dollars and could drag on for years? Women in this situation are typically forced to just move on to the next job 
without any real recourse. Then you have E.B. E.B. said, after experiencing this firsthand and witnessing many women who do see lawyers and don't win, I wouldn't be so smug and think it's so easy for Susan to file a lawsuit, in essence. Cases that seem so easy to win are shut down, just like HR shut her down. The legal process takes forever and still sexism wins. Look into it before you advise that it's so easy. And she was talking to some of the other commenters that like that, like or, or the ones that I mentioned earlier who were saying if it really happened, she should have. She should have filed a lawsuit as if that's the only option. So it's tough because we even see that even, you know, throughout history, it's been a time where people's voices have been shut down or told to basically shut up, be quiet, be quiet. Because if this, then that. So a lot of people have been quiet. And this wicked problem that's going in circles, like when somebody speaks up and then somebody else is going to beat them down for speaking up. This doesn't address women who are sexually harassed by men. And it also does not address men who are ashamed to report being sexually harassed by women or other men. Now, I didn't mention women being sexually harassed by women, and I didn't um, mention any any other people being harassed by other people because I'm just specifically, we just don't have enough time in this one episode. <sighs> wow. So, people, there are people who are saying that they are tired of hearing about sexual harassment. I've heard men say this, I've heard women say this. And I've heard and I've heard men who who haven't said that and I've had and I've heard women who haven't said that. But they're not the ones I'm focusing on because I'm thankful for them. God bless them. I want to focus on the ones, the men and the women who said that they're tired of hearing about sexual harassment during this me too era. Um in this era, they're tired of hearing about it because it makes them uncomfortable. But while they're tired of it, they don't understand that there are people who've been tired of suffering for decades, for years, because they were shut down, because society said that they couldn't speak. So this era right now of people hearing or being inundated with the testimonies, with the anecdotes of sexual harassment and assault. Yes, it might be a lot to the ear, but it's been a lot to the people who have suffered. And for those who are falsely accusing others of harassment and assault, that does not change the fact that others have still suffered from actual harassment and assault. So my advice is don't shut people down, even if you're tired of hearing it. 
Don't judge them. Just discern. Use your God-given discernment first before you speak. Don't advise people like some of those commenters did to Susan Fowler. Don't advise them on what you don't have enough information on or what you don't know about. Don't be so quick to tell them that they were wrong if you are not informed about what happened. And if you're bitter because you were actually accused of something, don't judge all other accusers as if they're liars. Or because you're just a bit, you're just bitter because either you actually did it and got called out or you did it and you didn't believe that it was harassment yourself. So you're angry because somebody else believed that it's harassment or maybe you were falsely accused. But still, don't judge other accusers. Put yourself in all parties' shoes. Be informed because people, every side has different perceptions and different stakes in this. The EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission said that while we offer suggestions in this report from June 2016 for what EEOC can do to help prevent harassment, we caution that our agency is only one piece of the solution. Everyone in society must feel a stake in this effort. This is the only way we will achieve the goal of reducing the level of harassment in our workplaces to the lowest level possible. Notice that these commissioners said everyone, not some. <sighs> so, trauma still exists for those who are still not speaking, even in this era of the Me Too movement. And if you're tired of listening to all of these testimonies, all of these stories, your exhaustion, your ex excuse me, your exhaustion doesn't dismiss their trauma. For those saying that someone should have reported it, because if you didn't, then it didn't happen. Or if you don't have proof, then it didn't happen. Let me ask you a question. Since you want them to report it, and you're not considering the other circumstances and consequences that, that could happen to them, and that did happen to me, even after having it reported, would you be willing to give up your salary to them for a year or more in case they become blacklisted or retaliated against to the point that it affects their money, it affects their health, would you? If your answer is no, then don't speak negatively on things that you're not willing to sacrifice for. And also think, why are you so negative about it? Is it that you might be projecting something? Might you be telling on yourself about something that you've done or that you're feeling convicted about now? Just think. Be informed. Be careful about judging. Until next time, this is Cesara J.